People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but Quana. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now! The Quantum Realm is a dangerous place in Marvel's latest superhero movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. But the realm of quantum physics is also a place on the frontier of computing, and a place where far-out ideas about consciousness and the cosmos can take root. It's easy to get caught up in scientific-sounding BS, and that's why physicist Chris Ferry wrote a cautionary tale called Quantum Bullshit, How to Ruin Your Life with Advice from Quantum Physics. Maybe the book should be required reading for Ant-Man and anyone else who's curious about quantum shenanigans. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, your host for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. Join me and quantum physicist Chris Ferry as we do a reality check on the quantum realm. Quantum energy, quantum crystals, quantum consciousness, quantum teleportation, quantum time travel, quantum computers, quantum realities. To make a subject sound mysterious, all you need to do is add the word quantum. Most physicists would just roll their eyes. But Chris Ferry, an associate professor at the University of Technology, Sydney, and its Center for Quantum Software and Information in Australia, wrote a book instead. Quantum bullshit doesn't hold anything back. Readers will have to brace themselves for multiple F-bombs in the text. Hmm. I wonder if quantum F-bombs are deadlier than classical F-bombs. In any case, Ferry isn't just a physicist who's not afraid to use the F-bomb. He's also a father of four and the author of a series of baby books about the frontiers of physics. So he just might be the perfect person to delve into the real-life physics of a superhero movie like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Spoiler alert, there is virtually no real-life physics in the movie. Nevertheless, quantum mania can provide a teachable moment for quantum physics and how it's relevant to our modern world. So here's the teachable moment. When we chatted over Zoom, the first thing I asked Ferry to do was to define the quantum realm as seen in the Marvel movies and as seen in the real world. The quantum realm is a name that was uh, dreamed up by, I believe, a Caltech physicist who was a consultant on the movie and someone uh, that I know personally, I think it was just a, a kind of sexy sounding name for this idea that you're going to shrink down to the size of atoms. And in some of the movies, sm smaller than atoms, there's no place you can visit, <laughs> even if you had that technology that is the, the quantum realm. Uh, so the the depictions of it in Marvel movies and in, in any other movie are, are completely artistic. There's no connection to uh, real physics or, or our understanding of reality. Can it be said that there is a real-life quantum realm? Uh, people talk about the distinction between uh, the quantum way of uh, looking at uh, the physical world and the classical way of looking at the physical world. Is there something that we could consider the quantum realm? And if, if so, what are the characteristics of that realm? There's one reality, 
there's there's just one reality and as you say there's different pictures of it so i would i would say there's different windows on this one reality so you can view reality through the classical physics window and everything looks kind of uh, blurry and um it, things kind of look deterministic well ordered uh like everything is a, a giant machine and if you keep it well oiled everything will will work out uh, as expected and then the quantum window is more like a stained glass kaleidoscope <laughs> it it kind of depicts the world with lots of symmetries but it's also very complex and things are not deterministic uh, there's randomness and uncertainty so it's just a different way to look at the at the world or or view the world but i i think your question also touches on the idea that you are going to place yourself in as the observer in this di different world that you experience right so the the experiential world is the is the classical world we don't experience a world viewed through quantum physics so you know another one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid was honey i shrunk the kids right so yeah you, you shrink down and then what that's supposed to depict is the world that's experienced by things the size of of, of ants right or is smaller than ants and it does a great job of of imagining what that would be like but of course that's not possible right but we we can't really experience that world so we're kind of projecting our own way of looking at the world and, and communicating about the world into a fictitious sort of scenario we can come up with analogies and we can just make up fun science fiction but there's no there's no sense in which that's based in the one real reality that that exists out there yeah so do movies like the ant-man movies provide a teachable moment about quantum physics or are they such a bastardization of the real physics that they do more harm than good well it just depends on how people take it right there's no real science in those movies but there's not really nefarious lies either right <laughs> uh there's not a suggestion that you know that some quantum crystal is going to cure your cancer or something like that right the most people will come away with it as well quantum is a cool thing right and i think i mean i'm not upset about that as a quantum physicist <laughs> and and someone who's involved in, in building new quantum technologies i think that's a good thing but the movies themselves don't they have the, the some of the right words and the right phrases and they're sometimes said in the right order but yeah there's there's nothing really i think technically correct or even say useful like i don't think you could hear a phrase or a concept from that movie and then deduce yourself something else that's true about quantum physics or, or reality uh, mm -hmm. but i don't think there's people going to sci-fi movies that involve like superheroes and people flying and traveling faster than light speed coming away from it and thinking they understand something about physics.
Yeah, yeah. As you point out in your book, Quantum Bullshit, How to Ruin Your Life with Advice from Quantum Physics, there are a lot of examples of people using the word quantum, you know, all of a sudden it makes their object or their service that they're trying to sell sound all magical and wonderful and scientific because they added quantum to the phrase. So I was just going to throw out some quantum concepts and give you a chance to explain what they really mean as opposed to what they seem to mean if you only know about them from science fiction and quantum bullshit. For example, the uncertainty principle. The uncertainty principle was an idea that Werner Heisenberg came up with in the early 20th century. And the way he phrased it was, if you have a, a fundamental particle like an electron, then you can't simultaneously know where it is and where it is going. So you, you're always uncertain about something, the, about the, the properties of things like electrons. So he, he imagined, it's called Heisenberg's microscope. He didn't call it Heisenberg's microscope. So he imagined this, this scenario where there's an electron flying by and you want to know where it is and where it's going uh, so um, you know for for us like a car think about a car on the road you can look at it you can kind of guess how fast it's going i mean if you have a radar gun you can tell how fast it's going and you can see exactly where it is now do the same thing for an electron how, how would you do it well well inside the radar gun you, you're actually you know you're shooting radar waves electromagnetic waves at the car and they bounce back and come back to your your radar gun and then there's some electronics that decides what changed but now you're you're basically throwing something at the same size as the electron at it to see how fast it's how fast it is or where it is so heisenberg realized that you know every time you try to measure the properties of something you have to somehow affect it it's an active sort of thing you can't just your eyes aren't just passively absorbing information as the person who's performing the measurements you have to take an action and then it's the reaction of the world that you're you're seeing and that will always have an effect so mm -hmm. this is how heisenberg sort of in, came up with the idea of uncertainty but we have to remember that it doesn't manifest the scales of of humans so just because you don't know something doesn't mean that it has something to do with quantum uncertainty i mean unless you're in a physics lab trying to <laughs> trying to measure stuff and related to that is something that you do hear quite a bit the observer effect uh, the idea that the mere act of observing an object or a phenomenon changes the nature of that object or phenomenon. And, and an extension of that concept would be quantum consciousness, the idea that we all create our own reality. Yeah, so there's something called the observer effect also in psychology, and it has another name called the Hawthorne effect. And it's basically if you prime someone, they'll react differently than if you didn't, right? So if I if I'm doing a psychology experiment, sometimes I don't want to tell the people what the experiment's about because otherwise they're not going to act naturally. So if if people are being, if they know they're being observed, then they're going to behave differently. Uh, that's just an observation about human behavior, right? That somebody yeah. figured this out by observing lots of humans. <laughs> uh, 
when they knew they were being watched and when they weren't. We we can't derive that effect from quantum physics. Like someone didn't sit down and say, I'm going to look at quantum physics and I'm going to put into my, uh, you know, my computer solver for quantum physics equations, all of the atoms of, of a human and out will pop the observer effect. It's just an, something that we, we have noticed about, about the way people act. And quantum consciousness is related to that. You know, it's the idea that somehow consciousness, which is mysterious, we don't have an explanation for it. We don't even have a good definition of it. And quantum physics is mysterious, so maybe they're connected. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> that's about as far as the logic goes. And then, yeah, people take that even further. Now, there's a topic in science that that people study called quantum biology, and th- like there's legitimate science there. So there, they're looking at microscopic biological processes and asking the question: Do I need quantum physics? to accurately make predictions and understand those phenomenon. And for the most part, in all biological processes, the answer is no. I mean, we wouldn't have much different understanding than we do today had we not known quantum physics. We didn't need quantum physics to understand that plants take energy from the sun and then we get energy from the plants, right? But perhaps there are some microscopic processes that need quantum physics to accurately describe. If you look at finer and finer details at smaller and smaller scales, eventually the rules of classical physics aren't going to work anymore. But where consciousness lies, can we see it as immediately arising from microscopic processes? I don't think so, but people are trying. Yeah, I think, uh, wasn't it Roger Penrose who said that perhaps there are some quantum processes going on in the neural networks in the brain, and and uh, you get this idea that the brain is some sort of quantum device? Everything in the world, including the human brain, operates according to the rules of quantum physics, right? It's Everything's made of atoms, and atoms obey the laws of quantum physics, so everything is quantum, right? Uh, but that's not a useful, <laughs> useful thing to know at the scale of humans, right? If mm. I reach for my coffee cup, I want to make sure that I grab it, the handle, and bring it to my mouth, right? All of that it operates by the rules of quantum physics, but I don't need to know that. And actually trying to work out where I should put my hand by using the laws of quantum physics is is not going to help me. It's going to be a disaster. <laughs> so everything is quantum. And somehow, in a way we don't currently understand, the classical rules of physics emerge at larger scales. When lots and lots of atoms get together, all obey- obeying the rules of quantum physics, somehow there's a different set of rules that works pretty well. And they're simpler to use and understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so in some sense, the classical world is the weird thing. The rules of quantum physics are simple. It take a few years of university and you can understand all of the equations and solve them for every situation that you might encounter uh, in the lab. That's easy. Quantum physics is easy. It's this world that's weird and surprising, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the emergent world that we observe. Another concept is... Uh... 
quantum entanglement, and I guess a related concept is quantum teleportation. And of course, a lot of science fiction movies really go to town on this. The popular misconception is that entanglement is this link between separated objects that allows you to control one object when you make changes to the other one, like instantly, right? So you'll see this written, you know, even in science journals, they'll say entanglement was created, uh, two atoms were separated by five kilometers. And when you do something to one atom, you immediately affect the, the state of the other atom. But that's that's not true. That's not what happens. <laughs> that's not not in the rules of quantum physics, and that's not what ever is ever observed. So entanglement, I like to think of as a correlation in quantum information. So conventional information, the information that's stored in your computer, is you know now what we call classical information that's represented as bits, ones and zeros. Right. So your computer speaks in ones and zeros. Maybe you've heard that before. Yeah. And my computer and your computer have correlated data because they both need to store the images that are in this this video conversation we're having and also the audio. Right. So so the that data stream is correlated, but it's classical information that's correlated bits. There's another kind of information, the information that we use to describe quantum things like atoms that's called quantum information there's a an analogous term called a qubit a quantum bit that's the smallest unit so a quantum computer would have a sequence of qubits instead of a sequence of bits and if i have two pieces of quantum information they they can be correlated just like classical information can be correlated uh, and then there are things that you can do with this correlated quantum information that you can't do with classical information and I, sh I shouldn't say can't I, it, it's it's that you would just require more of it so mm -hmm. there are things you can do with two correlated qubits that you can't do with two correlated bits but if you had more bits you could do it right so it's it's more about a comparison about the amount of resources that you would would be required to to solve a task right and the uh, amount so of tele time. teleportation is just the idea that if i have a, a quantum computer or uh yeah some quantum thing device somewhere and i i want it to store some quantum information that's located at a different place then i could just send that quantum information so i could send the atom or i could encode it in light and then send the light uh, but that might be difficult you know, it might be difficult to transport an atom from one place to another without messing around with, with the information that it's holding. There's there's a way you can do it by sending only classical information, but there had to have been some some correlated quantum information already there, and that that would be entanglement. So if entanglement's already there, then I can send quantum information using only classical information. So the information over here you know, uh, on, on my left, say, is now on my right, and it disappeared from one place and appeared in the other place. So that seems sounds like teleportation, right? But it's not the kind of teleportation that is in like Star Trek. I think Albert Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. And Einstein was always trying to figure out what there was. He felt like quantum 
physics was not the total answer in this, that there had to be something missing, but he never was able to find out what the missing part was. In the 20th century, you had all of these physicists like Einstein, Niels Bohr, uh, Richard Feynman, you know, I think Roger Penrose, there's a quote from him. They're all roughly the same thing along the lines of nobody understands quantum physics. Like it's it's too complicated. It's it's mind-blowing. There's paradoxes. But I mean, that's just not true, right? We understand quantum physics very well. That's how we can build all of this modern technology that's based on it. And the 21st century perspective for people that work in the area of quantum information theory is that it's it's all based on information. And if you take that perspective, then then these things aren't mysterious and surprising. It's a fundamental change that I don't think 20th century physicists were prepared to make because in the 19th century, physics was based on a model of the world, like this classical window I said, where there's this mechanical universe out there and if I understand all the cogs and gears in that universe, then I can understand the machine. That's just not how the world works. And Einstein was, that's what he wanted to do. Right? He, he thought the point of physics was to describe the machine, but there is no machine. That's just not how the world works. Quantum physics, what it does is it tells you how, what you should expect to see when you do experiments or make observations in the world. It doesn't tell you anything about the real world. The, hmm. the rules of quantum physics are purely what, what, what's called operational. There isn't anything in the, in the rules of quantum physics that says, here's what's really going on. It just says, if you prepare uh, some part of the world in this way, and then you wait some time, and then you go and you look at it, this is what you should expect. What happened in the meantime? It doesn't say anything about that. There's nothing in there. But Einstein wanted to know what was happening. And that's just not what quantum physics provides. So he he wanted a different theory, a, a theory that tells you, you know, what's happening in the in that interim period. And he he couldn't find it. And and the consensus amongst physicists is that such a thing doesn't exist. Now you can, of course, because there's no way to probe that that region. You know, if I say I do something at time one, and then I wait ten seconds, and I do something else, and I have a theory that predicts with perfect accuracy what what will happen at that later time, that ten seconds, then that's good enough. But there are other people that say, oh, well, I want to invent a theory that describes what happened in the in the middle, but there's no way to test that because if I if I say, well, at the five-second mark, that this is the way the world is. Well, I have to set up a new experiment, right? Between mm -hmm. zero and five. And quantum physics will tell you exactly what will you'll see in that experiment, right? Um, so there, there, there are many sort of theories, but none of them are testable. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies. And people debate about who, what their favorite version is, but there's no way to test any of them. Mm -hmm. One other concept that I wanted to run by you was the idea of the multiverse and the many worlds hypothesis, the idea that there's a multiplicity of potential forks that 
uh, you can take in, in the universe and that in some way all those forks exist. And in science fiction, people jump between one fork and the other. Uh, but there's some <laughs> actual physics to the idea, but maybe not what science fiction folks portray on the screen. Yeah. So this is another one of those ideas for how you can fill the gap between what quantum physics can actually tell you. The multiverse is not something that exists in the rules of, of quantum physics, right? It's an, it's an interpretation that you add on top of it that's not verifiable. I, I can say more, but I mean, I, I, won't, I think that's the, the, the crux of it, right? That it's an interpretation that it, you cannot verify. So it's a story that you add on top. And I must admit, it's the most compelling from an entertainment perspective. And I think that's why it gets a lot of press and playtime. Mm -hmm. Because the reality, you know, the one that I just described, that quantum physics is like an engineering, a tool for engineers to make predictions about <laughs> their experiments, is just really boring. But it's the one that is used by the I don't maybe hundreds of thousands of quantum physicists with PhDs in the world. The the multiverse idea is just a yeah, it's just a, a sort of science fiction story that's that's put on top of it. Have you come across any works of science fiction in books or movies or TV shows that actually take good advantage of quantum physics and do provide a teachable moment or two? Um uh, No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's a there's also a meta problem, right? In, in the way that that scientists or physicists or even engineers are portrayed in media, right? So every science fiction story, you know, goes like this, right? There's a an existential threat and then there's this one rogue scientist that <laughs> right, you know, figures out like, oh, there's a hive mind and all you got to do is uh, if you understood science and you, I made this device with, you know, Radio Shack parts and it's going to put out the right frequency and uh, you kill the queen, right? <laughs> and, right. And, then, uh, and that's just not how science works, right? And quantum physics in particular is really bad for this because we have this sort of string of 20th century heroes that won Nobel Prizes and... Uh, but yeah, that's just not how it works. Well, you've also written a book called Quantum Physics for Babies. Tell me how that book's been received and what can babies or their parents learn from that book? So Quantum Physics for Babies is a board book. So one of these books that is meant to be a bit resilient for, for very young kids that throw their books around. And so it's just short, obviously, it has 24 pages. And the story in the book is about electrons inside of an atom and the electrons can rise up in their energy or they can fall down in their energy but they have to do it one quantum at a time and that's where quant the word quantum physics comes from uh, so that's that's it that's all that's the only information about quantum physics in the book and it's accurate. That's that's kind of where we get the word quantum from. It gives a a not very accurate, but but also a useful picture of the way electrons um, 
exist in atoms, right? So it, it uses this planetary model where you view the electron as going around the nucleus of an atom like a planet, but that's not that's not really that accurate. It's the one that sort of Bohr came up with in the in the early 20th century. I think he won the Nobel Prize for that in particular. So it's you know it it gives a useful model. You know the first kind of model that we that we teach say high school kids or or even yeah university students about the structure of atoms. So uh, yeah, I mean I think it as a quantum of of, of information. <laughs> I don't. The point of the book is not so that that particular piece of information is going to be retained by an infant and then they'll be able to pass a test or an exam about it later. It's just something to get people started and interested and excited about science. And it's been pretty well received. And one of the things I hear most from parents is that they'll say something like, oh, when I was in school, I hated math, I hated science, I wasn't very good at it. They may or may not say this explicitly, but the, you know, then then they were afraid of it, right? So there's this sort of anxiety and fear associated with with math and science that comes from people's education. And the problem is that that anxiety quickly gets ab- absorbed by the children. But what I hear from parents is like, this is simple. I wish I wish I learned physics or science or math this way, in a in a more in a more friendly way. And so if all the books do is remove a little bit of fear and anxiety from parents so that it doesn't get passed on to their kids, then I'm happy. As you mentioned previously, uh, physicist Richard Feynman once told his students that a lot of people have come to understand relativity, but that nobody understands quantum mechanics. Will there come a time when everyday people are more familiar with quantum physics than they are with quantum bullshit? Or is that expecting too much from everyday people? If we step back a moment and ask, what, what is it? What does understanding mean? Do you do you understand how your computer works? Right? Do you understand even how a doorknob works? You might think that you do because you use them all the time. But could you rebuild? I I, I couldn't. If you said if you removed all the doorknobs in the world and said, okay, now build one from scratch, I think it would take me quite a while. Even though, you know, I should, I should know how a doorknob works, right? Or even a toilet, right? You just go through through all the simple things around you. You don't really understand how they work, right? We have this illusion that the things that we use every day we understand, but we really don't. And there will come a time when quantum computers, for example, are ubiquitous. And people will say, yeah, I understand how a a quantum computer works. I use it every day. But will they really understand it? Probably not. I'm not a relativistic scientist. That's not the field of study. Of course, you learn about it in university and then you you hear about it from from colleagues and, and speaking to other scientists. But I don't have an intuitive grasp of general relativity. I don't work with it enough. When Feynman said that, you know, he probably wasn't referring to everyday people, right? I mean, he was talking to an audience of of undergraduate physicists. I yeah. I really don't think that relativity is any easier to understand and develop an intuition for than quantum physics is. 
I doubt that, you know, if you, if you just got all the people in the world and tested them on both, that they, they would do better on the relativity test than they would on the quantum physics test. You know, we, we have this conception about the difficulty of understanding quantum physics that comes primarily from a bunch of old white dudes from the 20th century and their anxiety over <laughs> not being able to have the theory that they want. I suppose the important thing for people to know about quantum physics is how fundamental it is to the 21st century world, that those white dudes in the 20th century <laughs> would marvel at uh, smartphones or lasers or uh, a lot of these other devices that are made possible by having a better understanding, somebody having a better understanding of quantum physics. So, yeah, like I said, so if you take the view that everything in reality is made of atoms, then the universe runs on the rules of quantum physics. You know, there's a scale at which it's unavoidable, but that's not the everyday scale, right? If, if you're a microelectronic engineer, well, then you have to worry about quantum physics, right? Um, if, yeah, if you want to design lasers, well, you have to worry about quantum physics. Now, there's a whole list of places where you, where you have to worry about it. But if you just want to get around in the everyday world, then no, you you don't need to know about it. And, you know, in some sense, knowing a little bit about it is bad, right? Because your confidence about, <laughs> about understanding it is, is high. Our modern world and all the technology around us is built because people understood quantum physics. We wouldn't have any of it if people didn't understand quantum physics. But, you know, it's, it's not engineered in such a way that it matters. Let me put it this way. When we have a quantum computer, you will interface with it exactly the same way as you do a digital computer. Why? Because if you needed to know quantum physics to use it, then nobody would buy it, right? So the engineers will make it so that you don't need to know any quantum physics to use it. That's the crux of it. You can think about, there, there are even, I mean, on a cosmic scale, of course, quantum physics is relevant as well. So in all of our understanding about cosmology is based in, in quantum physics. It, we wouldn't have that understanding if it weren't for quantum physics. So the fact that all those points of light you see in the night sky are basically all made of the same thing, just mostly hydrogen, a little bit of helium, and tiny amounts of other elements. We have no way of knowing that if it weren't for quantum physics, right? Uh, and you can go on and on. Like the idea of the Big Bang, all of this stuff comes not only from general relativity or, or, or other theories, but also from quantum physics. So if there are certain things, if you're really worried about them and you want to make sense of it, then you need to understand quantum physics. But that's not at the everyday scale. It's at extreme scales. Well, as a result of this conversation, I'm going to be looking at my doorknob more closely than ever. <laughs> and uh, I love hearing about the rise of quantum computers and what it all means and tips to tune up your bullshit detector. So thanks mm. so much for being with us. And we'll look forward to the next chapter in the quantum age or the next book for babies. Right. Thanks for having me. For more about Chris Ferry, Quantum BS, and Quantum Physics for Babies, check out my blog item on CosmicLog.com. 
Follow the links to find out how quantum terminology found its way into superhero movies and how quantum computers may or may not change the world. And in case you want to take a quantum-themed thrill ride, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania makes its debut in theaters worldwide on February 17th. Thanks to James Emily for his rendition of the Fiction Science theme music, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to our Fiction Science podcast, and feel free to give us a stellar rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or whatever your favorite podcast channel happens to be. And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.